Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and inviting you to listen to our latest podcast, number 946, with author John Overham about his new book entitled Exits and Answers, Navigate Your Business Exit Like an Expert. This podcast, number 946, is brought to you by Julie Wald, author of a new book entitled Inner Wealth, How Wellness Heals, Nurtures, and Optimizes Ultra-Successful People. If you want to learn more about Julie Wald and her new book, please visit her website at www.juliewaldwellness.com. That's www.juliewaldwellness.com. And now for a featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with author John Overham about his new book entitled Exits and Answers, Navigate Your Business Exit Like an Expert. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And for all my listeners, John, we have John Overham on, and John is joining us from Coronado, California, uh, just down the street from me. Um, Most of my listeners know I do this podcast. They also know that I'm involved in succession planning. Uh, I got to know John through the succession planning business and introduction through various, uh, actually was an accountant um, that introduced me to John. And I've always been impressed with his business acumen, um, his ability to put the dots together. And while this particular podcast is really more about your business. It's probably the most important podcast about your business that we could speak about. Good day to you, John. How are you doing? Doing wonderful, Greg. Happy Thursday to you, buddy. It's good to have you on Inside Personal Growth and to speak about something that you and I obviously believe is probably the biggest, most important thing that a business owner could do or plan for. And I'm going to let the listeners know a tad bit about you. Um, John has written a book, which I'm going to hold up here. There it is. Um, The book is called Exit and Answers, and this is version 2.0. He had a 1.0 version, but this is the 2.0 version. And he's the founder of Exit Consulting Group. um, And he shares his expertise and richness on a firsthand experience inside this book based on working with hundreds of business owners over the past 15 years. He explores and provides insights on all the things he wishes he had known before he sold his first business. This book dives into the buying and selling process, both to the external buyers as well as to family, key employees, and business partners, highlighting common pitfalls, business succumb, and to the opportunities for businesses to implement value drivers the book outlines how to attract multiple qualified buyers to your door. If you want to know more about John, his company, and all of the great staff that he has there, just go to well, the book website is exitandanswers.com. His website for the consulting company is exitconsulting.com. So either of those will get you there. Um, is that correct, John? Or did no, it's I Exit that? Consulting Group. Exit Consulting Group. I left off the group part because actually when you push on your website, it actually goes to exitandanswers.com on the book itself. So for the book, we'll put the link to exitandanswers.com. Great book for you to get. We'll also put a link to Amazon because the book now is on Amazon for you to be able to get that book. And I think it's a great starting place for people. 
And that's why I want to start this conversation, really. And I want to make it a dialogue because more important that the people that are listening are really kind of listening to not only understand better what they could do, but more importantly, uh, to gather knowledge and information. And so go to John's website to do that as well. Um, John, you've consulted business owners, as I said, 15 years it's in your yep. bio. Uh, you mentioned in the introduction uh, that there'll come a time when we're all going to exit. And we are, whether yep. we die and exit from a death or we exit through some great planning that we did and we hired somebody like you or myself to help that. Yep. Can you briefly discuss with our listeners about the ways an owner can exit their business successfully. Now there's a lot of ways to exit unsuccessfully. (laughs) um, And we could talk about those as well. And I've seen many of those happen, Uh, you know, fire sales and, uh, and auctions and all kinds of things that people get involved into because they overcommitted themselves and had to get out of the business quick. So yeah, let's talk about those successful ones and maybe those not so successful ones. Um, well, thank you, Greg. Thank you so much for all of our years together, as well as, you know, the partnerships that we've had. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. I mean, we're both very passionate about this. So I'd, I can sit around and talk with you for a long time. And I know we could give out a lot of stories to a lot of the, a lot of your listeners on wins and losses and things we've seen and things we wish they would do and wish they didn't do. But, you know, um, we're all here because we care. And that's why we're in the service provider side. Um you know, I, I would say that the, there's kind of five exits that we start with. You know, you either do an inside sale, which is going to be your key employee, family members, you know, a partner, you know, somebody that already knows the business, an outside sale, right? A strategic, anyone of their competition, right? You can do um, a, um, a liquidation, which is still an exit. I mean, you literally can just shut your doors and do that. Um, you can do what we say, die at your desk, which is, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> and we've worked with owners that literally say, this is not going to be my problem. I'm going to die at my desk. I'm going to leave it to somebody else to deal with. <laughs> that is still an exit plan. All we not say a, is, not a great one. one. Not a great one, but let me just say, can we talk to your wife? And can we talk to your kids? Talk to the state because they're the ones going to deal with the exit. So we'll work with them, but it is an exit. <laughs> yeah, you know? it is. You know, and then the other exit is hire someone to run the company. You know, so many owners feel like an exit means that they have to sell and leave. And our concept is an exit is you leaving the business and then deciding what to do. Those are two separate things as an employee or as an owner. Most business owners think they're both the same. And in reality, in exit planning, those are two totally different steps. You exit as an employee and or you exit as an owner are two different conversations. But so many owners say, I I can't do one without the other. If I if I own it, I have to be there, or you know, I don't want to be part of it. And so there's just a lot in the goal, what is an exit, and yeah. and how to be successful in that is defining what is your exit, and what do you want out of it personally as an employee and you as an owner, and then how do how do you set those strategies up to be successful? And I think that brings us to kind of the the psychology of succession. You know, we might as yeah. well lead on with that. You know, when a business owner reaches a ripe old age of X, and it's different for everybody, yep. um, they they start to think about their life. They start to reflect on, are is there anything else that I should be doing 
besides coming here every day and managing employees and finances and so on. But the, the biggest stressor that I see in a lot of these people, even after we finish the the succession plan financially and all the rest of the stuff is like, hey, what am I going to do? Yeah. Where, where am I going to go? Right. Um, do you want to address that a little bit? Because that 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 could be a good kind of jump off point for the following question here. It's It's really... You know, like they're sitting there and they're contemplating, am I going to play golf every day? No, right. I don't really want to do that. I'm not going to play bridge with my wife every day. Um, right. You know, I, right. I don't like that. I'm not going to Las Vegas and gamble my money away. So what do you what do you advise people? What would you say? So when it comes to figuring out your exit, we throw them into three buckets. You know, if you're going to Vegas, you pull the slot machine and you get the three little things to get the perfect exit. It's is the owner ready and is the owner emotionally ready? Is the business ready? And then is there a market that actually wants to buy your business? And you try to align those three items up. When it comes to owner readiness, it really becomes what am I going to do next? What, what I have got so much value out of my business and I have associated who I am and my relevance. And the, probably the biggest term that we hear from owners after the sale is I don't feel relevant anymore. Right. And it's true. I mean, you, they're very successful in their business. They have everything. They made all the money. They transitioned it. The key employees are good. They're, they're happy with everything. Their life is good. And they still sit and go, I just don't feel relevant because I, that was who my friends were. Those were my peers. People would call me. People would ask me questions. And it's a reality, particularly with Generation One. G1 founders have really associated their business and personal value in their business because they're all in. Um, and so acknowledging it is the first step <laughs> and then finding the fa- finding something else that will give you the passion. Right, right. If you don't have it, you're, you're never going to leave because you're scared. You don't know it emotionally, but you've seen it, Greg. These the, the people struggle with not, they'll use price as a reason. They'll re, you have a bunch of reasons why not, but internally, they don't know what they're going to do with their day every day. And they don't know how to fill their batteries up. They, they're still, you try to get, well, you t- try to get Tom Brady off the football field. Right. Right. He's competitive. He wants to win. He's being, how do you take a Tom Brady? How do you take a LeBron Jacks? How, how do you, LeBron James, how do you take these people? that are phenomenally successful, have gift, and and they love what they do, and this is their life, to say you're done, walk off the field, walk off the court, even when and when you're you're doing really well. And it's it's really an, an emotional process that we have to deal with. Now, if it's death or divorce, you know, or the company's starting to fail, or you know, AI's taking over their business, or they want to move, or they want to do there are good reasons that make it easier, but still the emotional process of leaving your company is by far the biggest hurdle in, in being um, not having a successful exit. It is. And it's one of those that a good succession planner is going to address with yeah. you, whether it's still sitting on the board of directors yep. and playing some active role, uh, whether it's uh, having a small role in the company where you're still advising as a consultant to the company, yep. whatever it might be, to keep what you call the relevance. And I think that's important. And that is part of what a good succession uh, architect will do. Now, you state that most business owners want to know how much they can receive for their business. 
That's true. That's one of the first things they want sure. is what's the valuation. But what's most important element is not the gross selling price, but the net after tax uh, yep. value they're going to take. Can you talk about some of the considerations of business that might want to take into account when selling or transferring their businesses to take to get the most out of the business? Sure. I, I would say most brokers, investment bankers, transaction people always pitch sale price. How much can you how much can I get for your business? How much mm-hmm. can I get for it? And and for me, price is ego. Price is I sold my company for this much. But in the end, if you don't get paid for 10 years and then the company goes BK and you don't get all the money, it doesn't matter what you sold it for. What matters is how much money did I actually receive and then how much risk was associated with it and how did I get paid? So one is price, but we don't, price is what we call ego. What matters is how much cash do I get in my pocket when the deal is done? How much does it cost in a transaction for transaction fees? What's the value of those fees? How much do I have to pay in taxes from the state and the Fed, depending on where you live? And then what can you do from a strategy pre-close versus post-close? Because there are pre-close transactional opportunities of where you live, you know, where your revenue comes in, what state there is, is it in a trust? There are creative solutions that people smarter than I <laughs> can come up with that can give you ideas on pre-tax, pre-close. And then post-close, whether you do charitable remainder trusts, you do sales sales deferred trusts, there are other strategies on installment sales that might give you an opportunity to defer or even um, be exempt from from some of the taxes. So the game is, as the business owner, no one told me this. I just, they just said, Hey, I can sell your company. Go for it. And I didn't know what that really meant. I didn't know what cash free, debt free. I didn't know what earn, earnouts were. And it really, for the, for the listeners, they need to be aware of how much do I get at the end? <laughs> right. Now, let me ask you this. How many of your business owners that fall in that 5 million and under? And I know this isn't the yep. biggest part of your market, but. Let's when we say five million, five million dollar are doing installment type sales, um, you know, promissory note installment sale, waiting for the money, collecting it over a period of five years or whatever it might be from a key employee who bought the business. Um, what comments would you have about that? Because there obviously is some risk there, right, associated sure. with that. But do any of your tra- are any of your transactions in that realm, or is everything you're dealing with much larger than that? So we do a lot of transactions between our minimum is one million dollar sale price. Uh-huh. So we do a lot of one to fives because um, we're in San Diego, and there's still a lot of smaller two, three, four million dollar sale price, which is good money, you know. And that's San Diego is a small market. We're not Orange County, LA, San Francisco. We're playing with you know good, you know, just. Regular mom and pop service based manufacturing machine shop, you know, contractor type people. Um, when it comes to uh, deal structure, rare anything over a million bucks, there's always some seller carry. If you're going to be selling your Main Street USA flower shop, restaurant, shoe shop, you know, for a couple hundred grand, you usually get all cash. But you right. start getting a million dollars on up. And particularly when you get in SBA financing, 
SBA likes to have an owner, have you know the seller have some skin in the game mm-hmm. in order to make the deal. So mm-hmm. you, you'll get 90% down on the smaller deals and then a 10% seller carry for a couple of years to five years, depending on what SBA is requiring. But those are usually loans and they're usually fairly strong, but you get 90% down. When right. you get into the, you know, 5 million on up, really the part that gets strung out is how realistic is the sale price associated with the revenue? Right. And if the revenue is stable and you've got a recurring revenue stream and you are just a, a, a recurring revenue model, then generally you can get most of your money up front. Mm-hmm. If you are project-based, service-based, if you're a dentist, doctor, lawyer, CPA, contractor, any of these where your relationship depends on the future and because it's project-based, you're going to have to, if you want a good price, you want a better, higher sale price, they're going to have to pay you over a period of time to make sure that that revenue stays. Yeah. So. Well, there's so many things, there's so many just packed into that answer that we could talk about. I know. At length. <laughs> but um, let's leave it at that. I okay. Mean, it will kind of move forward here, but the point is, folks, go get the book, contact John. You. Uh, you can have these kind of discussions more in depth because no matter what you do with succession planning, there's there's always the next question and then the next question and the next question. So you personally have sold businesses that you owned and yep. you learned that it takes time and patience to sell a business. Um how long can a business owner expect that it would take them to sell or transfer their business effectively from the time they start planning? So let me preface this sure. to the time they actually exit. Because, you know, some of the the one the gigs I've worked on, a couple of years. Um, and I, I know you've been involved in oh, yeah. that too, shoring business up, getting the right financial, getting the right people, making sure there's somebody there with the ability to take it over and run it. Um, so just generally comment right. on that as a general time frame within maybe categories, you know, that sure. that that flower shop, that's not going to yeah, take yeah, very yeah. long sure. to do. I'm really talking about businesses that are much larger than sure. the flower shop. I, I, I would generally, I mean, we're going to overgeneralize because that's what we have to do. I would generally say the sale process, if you called today and you said, I'm ready to sell, I would tell you plan for a year before the transaction's closed and then plan for at least one year continuation agreement for consulting and maybe two, depending on the sale price. So, so minimum two years, if you want to be done paid, you know, no longer showing up and, and, and I'm done, done. If it's an inside sale and you want to sell it to your kids or a key employee or an ESOP where there's a lot of seller financing because they don't have any money, or let's say your partner wants to buy you out and he's right. buying you out at the 50%, he's not giving you any money. Those typically take seven, seven to 10 years to pay out because they got to pay you back with after-tax cash. And so it's a minimum of five, and I would say usually seven. And depending on how big the deals, it could go to 10 years before an employee, a kid can pay you back at a decent multiple. Yeah. And the thing you've got to do there, and I'll just add this to it, is you've got to forecast that period of time, the five-year, seven-year, to make sure that there's enough cash flow in that business to not only sustain the payment that's going to be made, but also so that there's enough profit for the person yeah. buying the business to say this was worth buying, right? Right. Uh, because I took 
an increase in pay and my equity was going up at the same time, right? So you want to look at the balance sheet too. That's a great, great point, Greg. That's exactly right. You're 100% yeah. right on. Yeah. And if, if you don't do that, I think you could be in trouble because the reality is you may not get fully paid out. Um, you know, you have a list of takeaways from the first chapter and all the subsequent chapters as well, which I think is great. It's Thanks. a, you know, it's a way to kind of summarize a chapter and just get to the heart and essence. It's a great summary. Can we discuss some of the takeaways that a business owner should be considering if they're planning to exit their business? So in other words, generally, there's sure. there's takeaways, everybody, on every chapter of the book. Sure. But there really are kind of general takeaways that you could take from this. And that's what I'm asking about here. From the overall perspective of exiting your business, the general yeah. takeaway? Yeah. There's probably three points. One is it's going to take you longer than you think. <laughs> it's going to be harder than you think on you emotionally because it actually is a it's an emotional process to let go. This is a child that you just raised and okay. you've grown this thing up and you've been a helicopter parent. And this person's trying to move out and go to college and get married to somebody else. And you're like, but, but no, I want you to stay home. And, you know, you're finally becoming fun. And, you know, now you're an adult. We can do things together. And the adult children are going, that's cool. We're good. We're going. And the, and the parents and, and so they, they just want to hold on, even though the company's outgrowing them. Right. And, and, you know, so, so it's, it's going to be hard. It, it's going to be hard and you need help. Don't try to do it yourself. This, this, you know, it's, it's a complicated transaction and there are a lot of tax consequences and there's a lot of deal makers out there that are professional and they will take advantage. All the people that are always calling all our clients, Greg, that are like, Hey, Greg, you know, I just got this person. They said they're interested. Greg, what do you think? And you're like, guys, we haven't even taken to market. We haven't been prepared. Yeah, but they said they would give me a great offer. And you're saying there's no such thing as a great offer from someone who doesn't even know your business and you haven't given them anything. These guys are professional leeches that are trying to take advantage of an opportunity of an owner who's just done that day. Because we all as business owners know there are days where we just sit around and say, why? why? <laughs> yeah, well, and and the the last thing I'd add to that is that, you know, whatever expense you're anticipating between attorney's fees and tax advisors and consultants and so on, you may want to think about, you know, as a percentage of the total, what are the, all of those fees going to be? And, you know, some of that strings out over a period of time. And I'm not going to say it's always going to be more than you anticipate, but it probably is more than you would anticipate. Um, and the reason is, is it's very complex. Like John said, this is not like Something you just take lightly. You've been working at it 25 years um, and there wouldn't be anything else that you would do. It's not like having a house that you sell after 25 years, has a ton of equity in it. You put it in escrow and you, it's gone. There's too many moving parts. There's a right. lot of moving parts. And so, Greg, the, the other point on the value that I was that I, I tried to get a hold of these clients, particularly with $5 million down low in sale price, is the owners are so involved in the business that the opportunity cost of them taking their hands off the steering wheel of their own business, trying to do something for their first time and trying to learn stuff, the company starts to slow down and the revenues go down or we miss a job or people employees move away or we lose a client bid. And the opportunity of just staying in your business 100% focused, like that's all you, there's a significant value. You will lose hundreds of thousands of dollars 
If you spend a year or two trying to do something you've never done instead of focusing on growing your business and all that, because you'll lose it either in losing of cash flow or you're going to lose it in value because of the multiple on the value of what you've just lost. And they just don't understand that cost. Well, and I think it's important what you said earlier about 15 minutes ago, you know, uh, and you refer to it in the book as an annuity. I think yeah. if a person's not really willing to let go and wants to stay on the board and wants to find someone to run their business yep. and collect the chips that keep coming off of the business, the annuity payment, whatever it is, the $400,000, $500,000 a year, that is your, that can be an exit strategy, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it is something to to think about. Now, you speak about lifestyle versus investment. Yeah. And most of these businesses, you say, are lifestyle businesses, which yep. they are. You mentioned in reality that um, they they are lifestyle businesses, although a lot of owners would disagree with us. Sure. Um, but, but the reality is they still are. Um, can you speak with us about the differences and the questions a business owner should be asking of themselves regarding this lifestyle versus investment kind of business? Sure. Uh, the, the best is a visual. I would tell you an owner-operated lifestyle business is where this is a wagon wheel with the owner in the middle and everyone reports to them. They've got their hands in everything. Maybe not personally every day, but everybody knows they better go by Greg to make sure that this gets done. And Greg has to be part of knowing what's going on from sales to marketing, to ops, to finance, to H, like they are the glue and they are the middle versus professionally run, which is more of an org chart where you actually have delegated middle managers that have authority and responsibility that report to them. And all the employees don't report to you. The only ones that report to you are your C-suite and that's it. Or one or two people and everybody else runs everybody else. It's probably the most visually clear way to explain to an owner that a professionally run company is where it's not, if you pull the owner, the whole thing doesn't fall apart. And and that's how I would define it. Well, and it's a great definition because, you know, when you're going to duplicate, you need to have those managers in place and those departments need to be responsible for their own P and L. In other words, what I'm saying is, okay, you can have, direct expenses and indirect expenses. And you deal a lot with contracting as I do. So, you know, as these um, are being allocated over the budget, it's real important to understand that if you do have the big of a company and you have those midline manager people, that all they're doing is you have the top people reporting to you on all the progress that's being made in those departments. That is an investment type of business. Sure. If you're involved in every one of those departments, that's not, as John was saying, and that's the easiest way to look at it. Yeah, and, and Greg, that's what we're calling. I mean, the biggest discount, the biggest haircut um, buyers do, they'll give you the multiple, but then they'll take a discount because of the owner involvement right. and the owner risk. They'll say, sure, I'll give you that multiple, but because the owner's so involved in it, I got to do a haircut because they're, what if my employees leave and my vendors leave and my suppliers leave? And then I got to hire three people because they're working 60, 70 hours a week and been doing it for 35 years. And I got to hire three people to do that job. I mean, I got this, this isn't the same company post owner. So yeah. then they get a haircut on it. For sure, the biggest haircut we get is owner engagement. Well, do something for me. And that okay. wasn't one of my questions, but you know, many owners out there aren't going to understand some of the things we're talking about. Many of them do. But when you recast numbers, 
Yep. Talk about a recasting of numbers because a lot of people in this financial world will ask them to recast the business's profitability without them. You know, what have they been taking out of the business? What is the cost for them in recasting? Speak a little bit, a few minutes, maybe about recasting, sure. what it means uh, and how important it is uh, in considering the real value of the business. So on the, mainly on the smaller businesses, because bigger businesses, people don't run as much personal through. Smaller businesses, because it's a lifestyle, they'll, they'll have their wife's cell phones and their kids' college and their medical yeah. and their trip to whatever, right? Yeah. So what they're basically saying, what we have to do is we try to take their profit, start with their profit or loss or take their profit at the end of the year. And then we do add backs for what we call seller's discretionary earnings. And those are things that the owners are running through that if if they weren't there, we wouldn't pay for. Right. So we got to add back all of the, you know, the scrap metal that you get cash for, right? Or the travel, the trips that you're putting through that really aren't there that you added some other people to it. Well, you can call it what you want to call it, the meals, the auto, the boat, the, you know, the kids, this, the, the, Hey, I got some work done at my house, you know, had them run it through here. Hey, I had my personal my CPA do my personal and also run it through the company. You know, I had my trust get updated and I had them build my company, all those things that if you're not there, we add back in to come up with what a real business would do. If you didn't have all of your personal Run through it, and then that gives you your SDE, your seller's discretion. That's how much you actually make between your salary and your 401ks and all of the your, your car allowance and all. This is literally what you're taking out of this business. That's the number we want because that's the number that buyers will actually be buying because that's what you're really running. That's not what your K1 looks like. That's not what your W2 looks like, but that's really what your company runs through. And that's what we mean by recasting is tell me how much you're really making out of the company before you start scraping it out through salary, through distributions, through benefits, through expenses. Yeah. And that's a great way to explain it. Um, You know, you speak about inside sale versus outside sale. Yep. Uh, obviously, inside sales to a key employee or to somebody like that. Outside sale is to a company that wants to acquire. Can you discuss the pros and cons of each type of those kinds of sales? Meaning, sure. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell this to a key employee. Let's say, sure. Uh, who actually has no ability. To qualify for a loan. <laughs> well, they have my last name, so they must be qualified to run the company. I mean, by definition, they're qualified. Yeah. <laughs> so so j- just speak with us some of the pros sure. and cons, if, if you would, about those two. Because, look, if, if I'm sitting there saying I'm going to sell to a key employee or I have a lesser offer from maybe an outside company that wants to buy it. And somebody's trying to make a judgment as to, hey, I want to be nice to the key employees and I'll hold the note and I'll collect my note over sure. however long it is. I, I, I just want to know what you're thinking about pros and cons. So my advice to owners that are looking for an inside sale to a key employee or to family or to an ESOP, um, not if it's a business, not if it's a, a partner buyout. So if you and I are partners, Greg, and we're 50, 50 and I sell it to you, you already know the company, you're, you know, that's different. Cause you, you know, we've been partners, but on an inside sale to a key employee or family, um, that's, you know, a generation below the game is only about legacy. Do it because you want the legacy. Don't do it because you think you're going to make enough money out of this. 
because you're going to be disappointed, particularly when it comes to family, because you see it. I said, if you're going to sell it to your kid and what happens in five years at Thanksgiving when he doesn't make the cut because the economy turns every 10 years when we know it and he's made some decisions or she's made some choices and they're going down a different path and they're not paying you and they can't afford to pay you. How is Thanksgiving going to go? How's the time with your grandkids? Because they're going to be resentful for you that you sold it to them for too much money. They can't afford it. You're going to be mad at them for not making payments. Your wife's going to be mad that she's not able to to you know provide and then she doesn't get to see the grandkids. Make sure that if you're going to do an inside sale to family first, understand it's not about the money. It's about the legacy. It's giving them the opportunity. Um, key employees can be a little different, but just just you have to, it takes so long for them to pay you back that you just have to stay on board. So if you want to stay on board and you want to keep working for a salary, I would say stay on as long as it is for you to get paid because once you leave, the company is going to tank and just be prepared because they're going to buy it from you because they don't have to put any money down. The employee is going to come to you and say, I'll have to buy the company from you, Greg. Whatever profits we make, I'll give you 50% of those for the next 10 years and I keep the rest. And like, well, what risk are you putting? You're putting any skin in it? Well, no. Well, what do you, then why would I do it? Well, I'm telling you, don't do that. But if you wanted to, just be aware that there's a lot of value for the sake of a legacy and just and treat I, it that way. And I would agree. That is the probably the only reason you would do The that, only reason you do that, that you want that legacy. Now, you speak about the timeline associated with planning a sale of business. We talked a little bit about it. Sure. Like we said two years. You state that most business owners should take between three to five years before they leave the business. Um, speak with our listeners about what it takes or why it takes this long to plan and execute on the sale of their business. Because a lot of people would be saying, hey, I'm ready to sell now. And you're saying, no, you're not ready to sell now. We did the readiness assessment. Right. The readiness assessment doesn't tell us that you're ready to sell. And especially not at the highest price that you potentially might be able to sell it for again and the terms you'd like to sell it for. So there, because of the three trigger points, owner readiness, business readiness, and market readiness, that really is what's determining time. Our opinion is set your company. So it's always ready to sell, run your business. So at whenever you're ready and the market is ready, you can sell it. Most businesses, particularly the smaller ones, the one to $5 million sale price ones, they, it was just an owner walks in and goes, okay, I'm done. There's no, it's when the owner's ready. And then the business hasn't been running correctly. They haven't managed their cash flow. They, you know, haven't put plenty of money aside. They've just bought some big piece of equipment. They have a bunch of debt. They just took out a big PPP or an EIDL and there was no strategy around it. And so it costs them money. If, if you can, if you can come up with what's the win, what do you want? Do you just want it to be a legacy? Is it a sale price you want? That you need an after-tax cash? Have you worked with your financial planner? Do you know how much expenses you're running through the company that you, you've been taking pre-tax that you're now going to have to take post-tax? And do you have that? Do you have medical insurance in the future? Like, how are you going to do this practically in the world of from this point forward, you're good, like you're set. Right. Um, and it's the it's the evaluation with your financial planner, the evaluation with your broke business broker, your transaction person, it's your evaluation with your CPA. It's getting everybody in a room and saying, what's the win? Getting it with your spouse and just saying, how much is enough? And, and how do I drive towards that? And, and then what does my company look like for that value? 
Because we've had, I had someone say, I need $3 million in after-tax cash. And I just said that based on your company, you're just not, you're going to have to triple the size or, you know, and you don't have it in you. So instead of that, why don't you, you're making half a million dollars a year, work for the next three more years, take that money out and reinvest it in something else and then sell it for a million and a half, which is what we could sell it for. It's still a good exit. You still got the number you needed. It's just the ego says, right. I want money. And say, so you got to get out of, it's just a lot of processing that they just don't think about. And the more that you get them to think about it and, and understand that there is a goal here and what is that goal, the longer we know what that goal is, the better we have a chance of achieving. It's a, it's a lot of assessment and readiness assessment, as we just said. And the, the challenge with it is, is as you said, and when you look at, is he personally ready? Is the business ready? Is really cleaning things up. I'm going to call it scrubbing everything, you know, yeah, like great. the cleanup, cleanup, cleanup yep. that has to be done uh, to make sure that everything is ready. And I, and I like your point about, you know, look, the business for most people in this range, this $5 million range, it's, th- that is their biggest asset. If you look at yeah. their house, yep. you look at their cars, you look at their 401k plan or their IRA accounts or other real estate they own, they'll unequivocally, that is the biggest asset they have, right? Right. And you're looking at this asset saying, how am I going to now extract cash from it if I'm not there? Meaning, what are what are the mechanisms that will trigger that? Great. And I think it's, it's so important. Um, what are some of the things that you find happen? that need to happen in kind of cleaning up a business when you go in. Let's talk about, you know, doing some house cleaning. Um, What are typically the things you find that most business owners aren't thinking about? Or if they are, you know, you find them and you see there can be more efficiencies. So we call those value drivers, right? What are the things, Greg, that you've been there? We go through it and kind of go, what are the things that can drive this company higher value or lower value? So things that we would look at is customer concentration, right? Do they have one customer that's 80% of their business? Really, anything over 15% becomes a risk to a buyer and they're going to discount it. So do they have good customer concentration? Do they have good customer diversification? Product or service diversification? Is there only one product? They might sell 5,000 SKUs or do one service, but if they did three services or five or different products... Which ones are they? The more diversification they have, then the better it is. And, you know, so it's customer concentration, vendor concentration. If they only have one key vendor in a particular area and, and they change their pricing, everything changes um, because they're, they're a reseller of that product. Um, uh, employee, and then really their org chart and how does their middle management work? Again, owner involvement is a big haircut. So we really spend time on job descriptions, evaluations, you know, how are you doing on your training and promoting people? Um, I'd also say a big haircut we're getting right now is IT, right? A lot of the 60 and 70 year olds that are selling for 5 million around, they haven't invested into the technology and and don't really want to, to be honest. This is how it's always worked for the last 30 years. And, right. and, and they're leaving money on the table, but they just don't have the energy desire to convert to an inventory management system or a sales management CRM or get my books into the, the latest program management tools that are available out there. They just go, this is how I've always done it. And they'll leave it to somebody else. So, um, you know, IT, sales... 
um, operations, which is their org chart and how that works. Um, our problem, and then their financial records. By far, our biggest challenge is crap in is crap out. If the owners aren't keeping track of their numbers and they're not giving us trustworthy financials, how can a buyer take that to a bank or take that to an investment group or take that back to their CFO, who's the no person in every deal, right? And, you know, and show them within confidence that these are my numbers. They foot, they tie, they tie to my sales tax, they tie to my income tax, they tie to everything, ties and foots and balances and everything you see is legit. And they spend the time to do so instead of, I don't know, that's my bookkeeper, they did it. Or I don't know why that balance sheet's that way. I already know how much I need. I already know how much I have. And they don't spend the time with buyer's eyes. Put the glasses on, wear the buyer's glasses and say, would you buy your company the way this is? That is... Probably the best advice you've given. And I think that and the and the way that I'd say that is if you were to look at it, you need to look at it with those goggles on, the buyer's yeah. goggles. Yeah. Because what's happening is, you know, you're missing all of the most important stuff that needs to be cleaned up. Right. You know? And that stuff being cleaned up is the stuff that's gonna drive value. You call it value drivers. It's gonna drive the value up. Right. But more Importantly, it's going to give confidence to the buyer uh, yep. to say, hey, this guy has run his business properly. And if it takes you two years to get that done, all right. of that stuff that John just said, then that's probably the best two years you ever spent, right? 100%. Because remember, it's a multiple on the money that you make. So if you if you get a three-time multiple and you made $100,000 change, you just sold it for $300,000 more right. because you took the time to do it. Plus, it actually ups the ante that someone actually might want to buy it. Because they feel confident that it, you know, that it actually is going to be a business that can survive without you. Yeah. And I think it, a lot of it is the confidence that they have that the business can sustain yep. its current sales and grow. Does it have the ability to grow? What kind of industry is it in? Um, what are we doing that's unique that other people don't do that right. possibly gives this business va- more value than others? Yep. Um, you know, who are our competitors in the market? All of those kind of things. Now, throughout the book, you provide lots of takeaways from each of the chapters that we said. If you were to summarize these takeaways, which you gave me three earlier, sure. now, what are the key things that you would leave the listeners with, with regarding um, need to know and the research that they might want to do before selling their business? The number one challenge we have in selling a company is understanding what's the trigger for them to sell. What is it? Is it health? Is it a number I need? You know, is it um so so typically what we want to know is why why are you doing is it that you're just done? It's just the timing. I'm not I'm just done. Like in COVID, we had some people just going, you know, I just done. I've had an, I got enough retired. I've got enough money. I'm doing fine. I'm just done. I just want to be done. Sometimes I just don't want to put any more risk into it. I've invested enough. I have enough stuff. I just want to get out because of risk. Sell it for what we can sell it for. Some people are, this is my liquidity event and I need this dollar amount. Some people are, hey, my partner's leaving and I don't, I'm not ready to go yet. So I want to buy him out. The game is why? Because there are so many, the, the owners say they want to do this, but so many people also want to lose 20 pounds. You know, so many people want to travel more. 
you know, support my wife and love, show her more love. I mean, there's so much that people want, but the reality is not many people do, and it's not very many can do it successfully. And and the, the number one key to the success is that they go in it with their eyes open and get educated on what it means, how much do they need? What is it worth? What are, what's the, what's my risk in my business? Evaluate the challenges. How does a buyer look at it? Get educated, just plan and learn, which is what you and I do, Greg. I mean, we're just out there trying to educate. 80% of our, of our time is just education. 20% of it's the transaction. Right. Very little of it. And very little of it because the transaction is great once you've done the education, everyone knows the word, they understand what it means, and they, it's, they're, they're emotionally, mentally, financially prepared. Um, well, and I think it's the kind of Simon Sinek question is the why. You just said that. Yeah. Um, what's, what's that driver, right? Has their health changed? Yep. Uh, has, have they had a change in uh, maybe a divorce or a separation or an I- issue? Yep. Um, there's all kinds of triggers. Let's call them triggers. Um, have you lost key employees that potentially you're trying to find replacements for, but it's driving more stress in your life because you can't find the new people to fill the positions, whatever it might be, you find at some point there's a trigger that gets people to want to talk about it. We break it out into two, Greg. We break it out when we do the interviewing, those triggering events. We break it out as are you, is the goal for us, this is an internal evaluation when we, when we meet with them, is it out of cause or is it out of convenience? Because if it's out of cause, then we can actually help them. My husband passed away. I haven't kids. My partner's leave. Like there are reasons where they have to, like this is, there is a reason I'm going to, then there is out of convenience which is, you know, may, I just want to retire. I've been done. I think I have enough. And then that's a different different element when it comes to pre-qualifying our clients because we know for cause they're going to get out. Yes, definitely. And for convenience, you don't know. Don't know. Chances are they're going to stay on the board and they're going to work <laughs> in the business. <laughs> uh, yep. For all my listeners, we've been on with John Overham. Um, exitconsultinggroup.com is the website that there'll be a link to. The book is called Exit and Answers. Um, Navigate your business exit like an expert. Uh, This book really is a fire starter. Not, I don't mean literally put it in the fire. (laughs) I mean, it's fire starter for your thought process, your thought to get you thinking. And I think that's the best thing that John could have done was to provide a book that he says exit and answers. I think he, the answer is within side of them. But yes. the reality is, is that this book helps drive you to understanding more about what might be causing that, right? What you, what yep. you yep. do. Absolutely. 100%. So, so John, thanks for being on Inside Personal oh, Growth. Thank you, Greg. Time with the listeners. It was a very dynamic, good podcast. And I think for the people that listen to it, they'll get a lot out of it. So I appreciate it, Greg. You're awesome. We love, love working with you. You're passionate about the same thing and helping all of your clients. So thank you for what you do. And hopefully we can change some lives. We, we certainly will for the better for most. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you again, Greg. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast on inside personal growth. We appreciate your support. 
And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again, and have a wonderful day.